so that we have hearts of faith and hearts of expectation that the things Jesus prayed about, I'm looking for those things to be maturing and, and fulfilled and growing in me. Uh, but also that I have a heart of agreement, that I have a heart of cooperation, that I'm not just a, a passive uh, recipient. I, I'm a proactive partner, that I'm in genuine oneness with the heart of Jesus Christ. So I pray that for myself and for each of us that as we're studying Jesus' prayer, we're putting our heart in alignment with the things that matter to Jesus. Jesus is getting ready to die. He's getting ready to die a horrible death. And as we've talked about many times, uh, Jesus was getting ready to die a horrible physical death. That he was going to be genuinely tortured to death. That the Roman soldiers would be beating him. Uh, they would be pushing a crown of thorns down on his head. That he would be uh, nailed to a wooden cross. He would go through a horrible physical death. And then... He would suffocate while he was hanging on that cross. And with the nails in his feet, every time he pushed himself up to try to get a little air, then the pain in his, in his feet and his hands was intensified. And every time he tried to relieve that pain, then he began to suffocate again. And, and doctors, Christian doctors, have written about that process in terms of what a horrible physical death that was. But we get to recognize this. The physical death that Jesus suffered was truly and literally the tiniest, tiniest part of what he suffered. That Isaiah 53 makes it real clear. What was experienced by Jesus was all the wrath of God that fit your entire life of sin and my entire life of sin. And for this to be a true sacrifice, it couldn't just be word games with God. That he literally poured out the true wrath on his innocent son. And Isaiah 53 says that it crushed him to experience that wrath. That was something that Jesus experienced in death. That no other human before or since has ever experienced. Is the wrath of God for the sins of billions of men, women and children. And as he's getting ready to face that death with his eyes wide open. Jesus has already prayed this week. And, and he's, he's getting ready to have a prayer in the garden saying, Father, let this cup pass. But just days earlier, he's already made his choice. He said, should I pray for this cup to pass? And then, he, and then he puts it right out there. But this is the very reason for which I came. His heart is already clarified. We're going to get through this dark night. I'm going to see if the Father has any other way. But if this is the only way... My heart is 100% determined to do what's necessary to save David, to save Reg, to save Todd, to save each one. I am absolutely ready to do this if this is the only way. And so that recognition that Jesus is praying with a clear vision of what's at stake. He is going to suffer the horrendous death and the horrendous wrath of God. And his heart's desire is, Father... This horrendous death will be worth it for me if we get this stuff done. If we can get this stuff done. If we can bring these people who put their faith in me. If we can bring them into our love relationship. If we can bring them into our oneness. If we can bring them into our eternal life together. If we can bring them into the truth of your name and the power of your name. And all the ways your name carries meaning into their lives. 
If we can bring them into the truth of the word that you can use to help them grow up into holiness, to help them grow up into your character. If we can, Father, bring them into my joy, my peace, my intimacy with you, then let's do this. And so we get to, again, recognize, I want to understand what he's praying. And I want to be in agreement with that prayer. But again, as, as we've already actually touched on uh, this morning, the recognition that what we're looking at is not a historical hope. We're looking at a living hope, a living Savior, and a living interceder. So here Jesus intercedes for us in John 17. But go to the passage that uh, Lauren read for us in Romans 8. I know that many of you believe that I find excuses to go to Romans 8. I just find good reasons. We have a good reason to go to Romans 8 this morning. And in the passage that was read for us this morning, let's look at verse 34. So out of John 17, whoops, how do I do this? We have Jesus interceding. And now in verse 34 of Romans 8, we have this. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died. Yes, rather who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. And, and the, the verb tense, which is very obvious in the English, and it's very clearly in the Greek as well, hits a current and continuing declaration that right now, Jesus intercedes for us. So we get to read, in a few moments, Jesus interceded for us shortly before his death, the night before he was arrested. But this passage is telling us is that right now, that exact same Jesus is still interceding for you. And that the deeper we go into this truth, the more it should encourage us and strengthen us for life. Now, one of the things about intercession, that's pretty straightforward. Uh, someone who intercedes pleads on behalf of another. So as Jesus intercedes for us, in that prayer, um, every now and then, I will spell something wrong. It's really rare. No more than two or three times a sermon. <laughs> but when I catch it, I'll try to correct it. That Jesus is interceding not for himself. In fact, he's the one who's going to sacrifice for the things that he's pleading. And here, again, in Romans 8, 34, he continues to intercede. And the, the bottom line for you and I is to ask this. And this will almost always be a positive. Do I see a need in my life? Can I perceive a need in my life? Do I need strength? Do I need encouragement? Do I need more truth? Do 
I need a deeper awareness of intimacy with God? Do I need financial help? Do I need physical help? Do I need companionship? Do I need power and authority to overcome the enemy and choose victory in the face of temptation? And the bottom line is, if I can come up with anything I need, anything I genuinely need, part of this passage is trying to tell us that the very next thing I should think is to be able to look Jesus in the face and say, thank you that right now you are fully aware of this need and you are interceding for me. So that we're not putting this in the area of some cold doctrine. We're bringing this into the area of a living intimacy between you and I and Jesus Christ. And that that's what God is trying to passionately get us to engage in and agree with. That Jesus is busy interceding right now. Go to Hebrews chapter 7. And let's start in verse 22. Hebrews 7, 22. So much the more, Jesus has become the guarantee of a better covenant. He's been comparing the covenant of grace through the death of Jesus to trying to keep the law under the old covenant. The former priests, on the one hand, existed in great numbers because they were prevented by death from continuing. But Jesus, on the other hand, because he continues forever, holds his, priest, holds his priesthood permanently. Therefore, he is able to save forever those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. For it was fitting for us to have such a high priest, holy, innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners and exalted above the heavens, who does not need daily, like those high priests, to offer up sacrifice first for his own sin and then for the sins of the people, because this he did once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men as high priests who are weak, but the word of the oath, meaning God's oath, which came after the law, appoints a son made perfect forever. So this recognition that Jesus always lives to make intercession for us by God's appointment. So the Father is in favor of this because it was the Father's idea. We won't go back and read it again, but in, in Romans 8, the passage we just left, it says that God is for us. And if God is for us, who can possibly stand against us? And it's a rhetorical question that has a, an obvious answer. Nobody can stand against us. Now, He's not saying nobody can come against us. We can have all kinds of opposition, all kinds of enemies, all kinds of discouragements. We can have circumstances that come against us, people that come against us, and certainly Satan and his forces can come against us. But when he says, who can stand against us if God is for us? The recognition that God is saying, even when those things oppose you, I have appointed my son to intercede for you so that the enemies purposes will not be accomplished. So when you and I are facing something and we recognize Jesus, right now you're interceding for me and you are the perfect high priest. You are interceding for me before the Father by the Father's appointment. And I need to remember this. You are majestic in your holiness and your authority. You have the right standing with God. And when I was reading this passage here, 
Verse 26 of Hebrews 7. It was fitting for us to have such a high priest. Fitting means it fit what we needed. It was fitting for us to have such a high priest. Listen to this list describing Jesus. Holy, innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners and exalted above the heavens. So he has no need to offer sacrifice for himself. But when I was reading that list, I thought, you know what? It would be so easy to respond to that list and then have a sense of distance from Jesus. Holy, innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners, exalted above the heavens. Why are you willing to hang out with me? Why would you even want to hang out with me? If you're this holy, undefiled, innocent, majestic, separated from sinners. And fortunately, the writer of Hebrews has already addressed that. If you turn back just a bit to Hebrews chapter 4, starting in verse 14, 14, 15, and 16. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So that as Jesus is busy interceding for us, one of the things we have here out of Hebrews 4 is that he comprehends us. He comprehends our weakness. That Jesus, having been tempted in all ways as we are, he was in that moment of weakness. Jesus was a man. He was fully God, but he was a man. We can read through the Gospels and there are moments where Jesus was was absolutely famished with hunger. There are times when he was so weak he fell to the ground in weakness. That, That he absolutely experienced temptation. He absolutely was called by the enemy to turn away from God and rely on his own resources or the shortcuts that Satan offered him. That was real. Jesus was not pretending to be tempted. Jesus was genuinely tempted but he was never tainted by the temptation because he always said no he always chose pleasing the father instead of pleasing himself and definitely instead of pleasing the enemy so that recognition that what Jesus faced was real he knows our weaknesses he's been in that that hungry or that weak or or that exhausted moment when it is when we are that close to spiritual defeat. But the cool thing is, he's not just aware of our weakness, because now, and we won't be able to get into all this today, that he's not just there interceding with the Father, he's actually dwelling in us so that he can say, I'm here in this moment to be your strength. I'm here in this moment to be your helper. So go back to Romans 8. Because we have, we have that larger application of Jesus' intercession in verse 26. 
In the same way, the Spirit also helps our weakness. So Jesus comprehends our weakness, but he's ready to deal with it. For we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. He who searches the heart knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So that Jesus who interceded 2,000 years ago, Jesus who is right now interceding on your behalf before the Father, that Father, Son, and Spirit are in union on this, He knows where you need help. Now, please, please pause and make this personal. So ask yourself right now, prayerfully, thoughtfully, ask yourself, where do I really need help? Where do I really, really need help? Not as simple as what would I like or what do I want? I want a raise. Uh, I want uh, a new pair of, what do you want for Christmas? Oh, you're covered. Okay, you got the Lego Death Star, you're covered. That whatever I want may not be what I need. And what God is saying is the Holy Spirit knows two things. As, as the Holy Spirit in union with Christ is interceding for us, He knows the will of God. He knows the will of God for you. He knows the will of God for you. And He knows your weakness. He knows my weakness. He knows where we will fall short. He knows where we are, where we are not able. He knows where we are ignorant. He knows where we are discouraged. He knows where we've been fooled and where we're deceived. He knows where we need truth or help, or strength, or encouragement. So I would encourage you, make this very personal. That as you're, as you're thinking about it right now, and certainly as you leave and, and go into your day, that you recognize, Father, I need your help. Help me to discern where I really have need. What do I really need to move forward in my life? And for most of us, that involves change. Actually, I cannot conceive of anything that God's working on that won't involve change of some type. And so that part of recognizing, you know my need, help me to discern my need, and carries with it this humble submission. Father, as you're seeking to accomplish what I need, help me to be willing to change. So if I am truly content with where I am, if I'm thinking I am just fine the way I am, I don't need a deeper oneness with God. I don't need wiser behavior and thought in my life. I don't need more loving relationships with my husband or my wife or my parents or my children or people. I think I'm just fine. Then I will not be in agreement with the things that the Holy Spirit is praying for. If I defy the truth of my own weakness, I won't be ready for change. So part of making this personal is, Father, help me to discern my need and then help me be willing to change. So that the things you're praying for and interceding on my behalf, I'm in favor of those things. We, had, we, we sang a song earlier today, um, and it's a version of, of another song. So we sang the song, It Is Well With My Soul. And, and I love that song. Uh, I have to admit, I love the original even better. And the reason is because I have, a, and most of you know this, I think, because there's such a story behind the original that, that breaks my heart every time we sing that song. And that the, the gentleman who wrote the, the, the first version, It Is Well With My Soul, 
He wrote it while he was at sea, while he took a journey out to the ocean to go to the spot where his wife and children were killed in a storm and went down with their ship. So here's a man standing at the side of, of the ship balcony looking over the rolling seas. And he says, when the sea billows roll, these are the billows that swallowed my family. It is well with my soul. Either that man is crazy and callous, or he knows something profound and comforting. And that recognition that he knows something profound and comforting. That it is still well with my soul. He could still envision his wife and his children in, in God's presence waiting for his arrival. He could still grieve deeply for their loss, but he could still recognize, but if I'm still here on the planet, this living God who loves me, this living Jesus Christ who is interceding for me right now, has beautiful, loving, and majestic purposes for why I'm still here. It is well with my soul. He didn't say it is painless. I'm confident he was going through a great deal of anguish and sorrow. But he looked deeper than that pain and said, but it is well. I am in a solid good place with God because of what God has accomplished and what God's working on. And for you and I to grow in our comprehension that Jesus is always interceding for us. He's always seeking our good purposes. He's always working on those. He's always comprehending the will of the Father for my life. He's always comprehending where I lack and where I'm missing and where I'm weak. And he's bringing those two together by how he intercedes for my provision. And that I learn to agree with that so that in the moment of sorrow or weakness, you and I would also pray and say it with truthfulness, it is well with my soul. This is still painful. This is still hard. This is still discouraging. This is still confusing. But I know that you're interceding for me right now. That matters to me to know this. And so if right now there's some skepticism about that, you're thinking, it's hard to believe he's really interceding for me right now. That's worth a deeper conversation between you and the Word of God and you and God to say, help me get to the confidence that that's real. So that it encourages me. So that it challenges me. And ultimately, so that it changes me. That I'm not some callous, isolated individual, the God of the universe, treasuring me and interceding for me while I ignore Him. But that I open my heart up to respond to that love. We have this passage also in Romans 8. After promising us that the Holy Spirit is interceding for us, he says this, which we've probably talked about these two verses hundreds of times in the last uh, decade and a half. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. For whom he foreknew, he predestined to become conformed to the image of his son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. And so that recognition that as I'm submitting myself with some willingness to be changed, that I get to have this shared vision with God. Father, I comprehend a little bit the nature of the change you're working on. You're actually seeking to grow me up and mature me up 
into the character of Jesus Christ, into the passions of Jesus Christ, into the priorities of Jesus Christ. You might recognize that list. It's sort of related to understanding the name of God. That that recognition that being conformed to the image of Jesus has nothing to do with cultural things or personality things. It's about character and intimacy with God and agreement with the purposes of God and the passions of God. And he's saying, I promise you, everything is raw material for this journey. So today is a day of triumph or today is a day of sorrow and tragedy. God's saying, I'm ready to use both ends of that spectrum. I'm ready to help you keep growing into the image of Jesus Christ. Now, one of the things, whoops, one of the things that, that I, I've talked about before and I would encourage you to keep in mind and, and pursue periodically, that there is value in going back and reading the Gospels, not because I haven't heard all those stories a multitude of times or you haven't heard those stories. Reading the Gospels, reading, reading the life of Jesus Christ is valuable so that I can be in a real open-hearted mindset with God a Father, show me the heart of Jesus Christ in these things. I want to get to understand his character. So I could tell the stories of what he did or what he said. I want to go deeper than that. And as I gain a vision of Jesus' character, then I, I want there to be a willingness and a submissiveness in me that would say, me too. Accomplish that in me too. Help me keep growing into that. Uh, now the challenge, and I'm not... I'm not asking you to go home and do this. Um, I have asked you to do this in the past, and I'll leave that up to you and your family. Is to go home and, and uh, ask your husband or your wife or your children or your parents, so where do you see me falling short of the character of Jesus Christ? That might be a long, painful discussion. So, again, don't foolishly do that unless the Holy Spirit leads you to do that. But every now and then, we get to recognize if I'm really growing in the character of Jesus Christ, the people who live with me should see that. If I'm really growing in the character of Jesus Christ, the people who live with me should see that. Um, is Elizabeth here in the room? Elizabeth shared something this morning in Sunday school, um, and, and it was hers to share, but I can share it too, because I also got to witness this. Um, that as Al Van Allen journeyed through life over the past 20 years or so, the people who know Al got to watch Al grow. That we got to watch his character mature. We got to watch his passion for God grow. We got to watch his tenderness and his love grow. We got to watch his, his forgiveness and mercy when others sinned against him grow. We got to watch him grow in taking authority over his anger and becoming a man more and more of, of gentleness instead of quick temper. We actually got to watch that man grow. And if, for those of you who knew Al, if you knew Al, you were going to watch him grow because he wasn't holding anything back. It was going to get poured out and shared with you. That if he blew it, he was going to tell you how he blew it. If he saw something majestic from God, he was going to share the majestic thing he saw. So we got to watch Al grow, and it's the normal thing for believers to grow. It's normal for believers to grow. The only way we don't grow is if we believe the lie that we're finished, or we believe a different lie that we can't grow. 
And actually, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that there's at least somebody in this room that believes you can't grow. That you feel like you've tried to grow, you've tried to overcome that sin, you've tried to grow in that calling or that virtue, and, and you have failed so many times that you've given up on yourself. And it matters that you would recognize that Jesus is saying, I'm still interceding for you. Let's keep going. I am still fighting for you and pleading for you. And it doesn't matter if you, if you fail 500, 5,000, 50,000 times. If it's my calling on your life, I promise you I've prepared what you need. Get back on track. Let's keep going. So that we do not disqualify ourselves when the God of the universe is interceding for us and in favor of us. Let's pray together. Father, you do know that there's all different levels of challenge and growth and, and maturity in these things here. Father, some who really find it hard to believe that they are capable of growing. And I do ask, Father, all of us together in agreement, we ask that your spirit would be true encouragement. That there would be a fresh beginning for someone who's been discouraged. And Father, if there's any that... that cannot even comprehend where you want them to grow. That in gentleness, but in clear, firm truth, that you would reveal the need for growth. And Father, that for all of us, afraid to grow, not sure we want to grow, unclear how we need to grow, or doubting that we can grow, Father, that for all of us, your word and your spirit would be a clarity of truthfulness that sets us free to grow. And Father, I pray that this would be a fellowship of grace. That as we see weakness and, and immaturity and imperfection in each other, that we don't set ourselves against each other. That we join in and we intercede with Jesus for the weak one. We intercede for a brother or a sister in their area of challenge while they intercede for us in our area of challenge. That we become a ministry of grace and a fellowship of grace because we comprehend this calling. That we're not here to just make each other feel good. We're here to grow into the life and power. The passions and the purposes of Jesus Christ. That we get it and we agree to it. And then we love one another. And support one another. And challenge one another. Encourage one another. And intercede for one another. Jesus, thank you for interceding for me. Thank you that your intercession has meant the difference between life and death for me so many times. That your interceding for me meant hope in the face of absolute darkness and despair. Your intercession has mattered. And I thank you that that's true in everybody here. Everybody here. Your intercession has mattered. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.